Good morning. In many ways, it feels great to be home. I live in London now, but I lived in Birmingham for 14 years when I was working for Youth for Christ, and it's so wonderful to be back here. Um, I don't know about you, but I find it annoying when people use sermons to advertise their ministry. It's irritating, isn't it? But I'm clearly feeling you want to hear a bit more about the EA. So if it's okay, we'll do three minutes on the EA, then we'll move on. The Evangelical Alliance was started 176 years ago with two aims that remain our two aims now. We want to unite the church in reaching the lost. And we want to give the church a clear and effective voice into every layer of society. People say to me, but what is an evangelical? That's easy. Four things. One, we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. Stop changing scripture to accommodate culture. And start changing culture with the truth on the pages of the Word of God. Secondly, we believe the death and resurrection of Jesus is the single most important moment in the whole of human history. Thirdly, we believe in the need for conversion. You don't come to faith by accident or by osmosis or something. You get on your knees and you meet your Savior. We are not universalists. Not every path leads to heaven. Jesus is the way to eternal life. And finally, we believe in being active in the world, making the world more like the kingdom. That's why evangelicals led the abolition of the slave trade in this country. Evangelicals provided education before anyone else. In the last 30 years, evangelicals have done Christians against poverty, food banks, street pastors. And who knows what we need to do in the next 30 years, but we'll be active for the kingdom. And the EA is a member organization. We're made up of 3,000 church members like this one. About 500 organizations and tens of thousands of individuals who say, let's come together to make Jesus known. And you know, let me encourage you, we have had more access to the corridors of power during COVID than we've ever had in recent memory. Here's the thing, once you're in the room, they've got to get us out again. We are bringing a voice of hope, of reason, and of joy into some of those darker spaces. And you know what? People say to me, but what's gained by being a member of the Evangelical Alliance? We can speak with one voice. We can do mission together. But actually, there are practical moments where we can change things going on in our nation by speaking as one. We're currently doing some stuff around conversion therapy, around changing abortion laws and other things, making sure that the Jesus voice is in the room. But one thing we've done that's finished was a few years ago, they said they wanted to offset all youth work and Sunday schools. Do you remember that? Private regulation of public religion when have we moved to Saudi Arabia we went into the corridors of power and said you cannot do this on behalf of our membership and religious liberty in this nation you cannot do this and at least for now it's been kicked into the long grass why because we said we speak as one we're the evangelical alliance we're here to work together to make Jesus known but you know there's a growing skepticism in the corridors of power to to institutions which is where the individual membership matters loads When we meet with Boris or others and we talk about the needs in the country, we are asked, how many people do you represent, not just how many institutions? Which is why I unashamedly ask you today, would you consider becoming a personal member of the EA? It costs £3 a month. Even up here, that's a cup of coffee a month. Where I live, that's half a cup. (laughs) You can join as an individual or as a couple. If you're married, don't even check with your spouse. Just sign up as two. Same price, but counts as two when we seek to unite and seek to represent. But friends, would you consider standing with us? I I would do anything to get people to stand with us. I'm giving them at least the next decade of my life to uniting evangelicals and making Jesus known. Increasingly, though, being an evangelical Christian is like being Marmite. 
Plenty of people don't like us, so if you do like us, we really need you on board with us. Would you consider signing up? And if you do sign up, I'll give you three presents. Why? I'll give you anything. If you need a kidney, let me know. But I'm desperate for us to stand together. So firstly, I've got a table at the back. It's great as well because, you know, if I hadn't been a Christian, I'd have had a market stall like Del Boy. So, you know, I get my table at least. And if you sign up, I'll give you this. It's mine and my wife Anne's latest book, Unleashed. What does it look like to be the Acts Church today? Secondly, I'll give you this. Unity for a purpose. Seven sessions for group or individual study. How can we be united that the world with no hope? Hope is a name. His name is Jesus. And finally, and if this doesn't swing the deal, I'm out of options. It's an EA key ring. Bear with me. On the end is a fake detachable quid with our logo on. When you need a supermarket trolley, right, you will be grateful you joined the EA. When you need, when you need a locker at the gym, happy days. All I ask is, would you pray with me each time you use it? Would you pray the three things I pray each time I use mine? I pray that the church would be united in this nation. I pray that the voice of the church would be heard and would be effective at every layer of society. And I pray that together we might make Jesus known. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you that we get to gather in your house. And Lord, I just pray that as we turn to your word now, you would speak powerfully. You would be glorified. And we would all be impacted by the truth in your word. Amen. So, it's so good to be back. And it's great. Isn't it great? Isn't Nick doing an amazing job? You know... There are, there are maybe 90 nationalities in this church, but I can guarantee you one thing about mine. White British people hate being publicly recognised. So Nick's squirming in his chair. But you know what? Thank him. If he's done something to bless you, thank him. Because there's nothing, the only thing harder than leadership is standing in the gap for leadership. And what Nick has done has been amazing. I'm, I'm delighted at the health of the church coming here, but, but my friend has done such a great job. So do thank him afterwards. And when Nick Nick asked me to share in your series, I was very excited. When he also said, on on thy kingdom come, I thought, brilliant. I know the Lord's Prayer inside out. I thought I would share about the whole thing. It would be an amazing sermon. Then I was told, no, it's just those three words. So I was struggling a little. But we'll have a go, won't we, friends? So Matthew 6, verse 10, your kingdom come. There you go. That's what we're working with. Um, This is the most clearly eschatological part of this prayer. This is the bit that's most about the end times. It must include at least an aspiration for the final establishment of God's rule over all his creation. If only the world knew that the Lord is going to rule over everything. People would change how they live now. In the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God in a sense has already come. But also the ultimate consummation of the kingdom is like makes the disciples imperative to, to reach out and to live in the light of that. So important. And it's not for God's people to be snatched away to the comfort of heaven. But for the glory and beauty of heaven to begin to take place here on earth. And his kingdom to come, if you actually pray, your kingdom come. In the Gospels, this is not a geographical realm. This is a kingly rule. This is praying for the extension of God's 
power, control, command and kingly rule to be taking place in the lives of every person around us. This is an outward gospel-facing prayer. Fundamentally, this is about the spread of the gospel. That's what it's about. So then you start saying, okay, great, we're in. Yes, but how? Which is why as as a passage to speak into this from, I wonder if you've got a Bible, if you turn it on. I'm going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. There it says this, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. You know, This COVID season, I think, has been bad for the saved and good for the lost. People say, what do you mean? Well, most of my friends that that love the Lord seem to have fallen asleep a little bit in their walk with Jesus. Many of my friends that love the Lord seem to have lost their edge a little bit. I do not have a friend who's not a Christian who isn't more interested in the gospel right now than they were before COVID. So we've almost got this kind of hard time for the saved and yet the start of a spiritual awakening for the lost. It's a time for for us as Christians to say, what do we need to do in this season? Who do we need to be? How do we need to hold ourselves? And I think we need to be ludicrously brave. I think we need to be courageous, but I also think we need to be kind. And in this passage, Paul gets sidetracked. Philippians 2 is the famous hymn of the early church. Your attitude should be like that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. This was the song you sang. If it was going wrong in your service, you would sing this song to get everyone in the mood. You know, I grew up in the church where Graham Kendrick was the worship leader. So this was the shine Jesus shine of the early church. Or in more recent years, Tim Hughes, this was the Here I Am to Worship or Little Mad Redman, 10,000 Reasons. Why are all worship leaders the size of hobbits? Sorry, Kev. But you know, it's. <laughs> this song was the focus. This song was the thing that got everyone excited. So why are we speaking about Epaphroditus and not the song? Because Paul says that Epaphroditus is living evidence of living out the song. We can't just be people that sing, we need to live it out as well. I'm so excited you've got a worship night. The two most important things you should be doing as a church together is praying and worshipping. But what I have had enough of is pre-COVID worship sessions coming out of our ears, Christian industries over here, every biblical translation you could ever imagine, books on this and this and this and this, Christian socks that sing a tune with a Bible verse on them, everything coming out of our ears and no overflow to the lost. We worship in order that there's an overflow to those that aren't already part of the church. We worship together so that tomorrow morning at 11 in the morning, wherever you find yourself, you realize you're on your front line for Jesus. We don't worship so that we feel better. We encounter God so he gives us the power to go out in his spirit and make a difference. 
I believe a major move of God's coming in my lifetime to the UK. I really do. If it doesn't, by the way, more people became a Christian yesterday than any day since Jesus rose from the dead. More people have become a Christian today than did yesterday. Church has never grown faster than it is right now. The fact it's not in the UK isn't a long-term issue because there's no British section in heaven. So, so when people want to tell me church is finished, I take a global view. But I also long for a local one, don't you? And I think as we pray your kingdom come, we believe that locally we could see breakthrough. And the thing about this character Epaphroditus is theologians say he's a balanced Christian. Five verses on him in scripture, but he's described as a balanced Christian. He's got everything in order. And it makes me think, where, are we out of balance as we seek to see your kingdom come, Lord? So four things about him. First one is he's faithful. He's faithful. Paul calls him my brother. In verse 25, it also says he's got the loyalty of a soldier. You know, we live in an instant culture, don't we? We live in a culture where we throw stuff away quickly. When I was growing up, the most successful shop at the end of the road was the TV repair shop. Now, even if your TV's 4K, if it breaks, you take it to the dump. My mum used to have zips on a hanger to sew onto your trousers when you needed a new zip. Trousers aren't made well enough anymore. The, the, the zip doesn't need replacing before the whole thing's fallen apart. More seriously, too, the number of Christian marriages I know of where people are walking away, not for the usual reasons, but they're not sure they love the person anymore. Love's not a feeling, it's a choice. We've got to be more faithful in an unfaithful culture. The only thing anyone sticks by in this culture is their football team. And unless you picked AFC Wimbledon, you got that wrong in the first place. Because Jesus loves Wimbledon. Because he cares about the marginalised, those mistreated, and those forced to live in exile. But friends, we need to be faithful in an unfaithful culture. Every time I come to Birmingham, I thank the Lord for, for his goodness, and I thank the Lord for the NHS. Because it was when I lived up here, I won't say it in detail, when I lived up here, my wife and I had struggles to have kids. We were told we couldn't have any. Then we had a daughter, which was amazing. Then we lost the child in the womb. And my wife had to have an operation to remove that child. Then our son had nine blood transfusions in the womb at Birmingham Women's Hospital. And he was born at 30 weeks, a few months in an incubator. Now he's doing fine, by the way. He's an 11-year-old. He's five foot five. He plays in goal for a semi-professional football team. But, but we went through three or four years up here. Where do you know what? If it wasn't just for clinging on to Jesus, you don't keep going. And most of our Christian friends said, does this make you doubt Jesus? I'm like, no. If life is pants and Jesus isn't real, I just lost twice. When life is pants, I cling on to Jesus. And what we need in an unfaithful culture is a faithful generation of Christians who keep going regardless of what's in front of them. This is not, this is not like going to a vending machine. Lord, if you give me that, I'll do it. No, 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 no. This is God, you are good. Therefore, whatever pile of pants comes at me or whatever joys come at me, I will be faithful to you as you are faithful to me. The first thing we do is be faithful. If you are close to being unfaithful to Jesus, come home today. Be faithful. Shut the back door of the church and let's keep going together. Secondly, we need to be messengers. In verse 25, he's called a messenger. It's called a messenger. We mustn't drop words. I think sometimes we, we drop the gospel words from, from our proclamation. We're not sharing it. We're scared. A friend of mine came to the UK as a missionary, never been on an aeroplane. Gets to the UK at Heathrow Airport, gets his bags. He's got a decision to make, something to declare, 
nothing to declare. He goes through something to declare. And he says, I declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing you'll have life. The person on customs looks at him like really weirdly and he says, I declare that Jesus died for you. And they let him in. (laughs) Now here's the thing, friends. Have we forgotten we've got something to declare? Tim Keller says, the only thing the the church can offer the world, the world can't do for itself, is the gospel. The easiest way, way to share the gospel is with our mouths and our words. We mustn't forget we've got something to declare. The church does twice as much youth work as the state. The church does the vast majority of parent and toddler groups. We do so many things where we have an imprint in culture. And yet when we surveyed a load of churches, do you talk about Jesus in these moments? No, we don't want to offend people. I don't get it. If I went to Sports Direct and they spoke to me about trainers, it's not offensive. If people come to church and you talk about Jesus... It's not offensive. This is his house. And we've got to get our words back so that we're messengers to all people, not just people that look and sound like us, but to all people. So if we want to believe that his kingdom will come, we're faithful, we're messengers. Thirdly, we're servants. Epaphroditus was sent to serve Paul in prison in either Ephesus or Rome. Three books debate whether it was Ephesus or Rome. All come to the conclusion they can be unsure whether it was Ephesus or Rome. So let's move on. But behind Epaphroditus' sensitivity to others is his absolute consecration to Jesus. He so loves Jesus that he can't help but love his people. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength, does not need the second bit, love your neighbour as yourself. If you love the Lord like that, you can't help but love his children. But we need to start being better servants. During this pandemic, I have not liked the way it's talked all the time about looking after your household. Basically, look after you. you, Look after number one, everything's fine. The problem is my household constantly says, extend your table. Add to our household. Because my children are ridiculously privileged. Two parents that love each other, love Jesus and love them. That's unusual. So we're constantly adding, we're constantly saying to our kids, bring your friends around, let them come and hang out. And particularly my son, a load of his mates who've never had a dad, yeah, bring them around, I'll play football with them. As long as I'm still better than them, we're fine. (laughs) But friends, the conversation has been look after yourself, keep yourself safe. But coming out of this pandemic, the church needs to be on the front foot saying, I will love you. And we need to serve people we've previously only served our flesh and blood like. You know, if I think of some of the things I've done for my kids, if I think about the vomit all over my car or the potty training or the other stuff, I wouldn't do that for someone else. I need to start doing that. Lord, help me see everyone as your children and therefore as my brothers and sisters. Going forward, if we want to see your kingdom come, we need to be faithful. We need to be messengers. We need to be servants. Finally, we need to be risk takers. I think the church is quite risk averse. It's like if if we're on the Titanic and the iceberg's coming, well, it's good while it lasted. Let's just crash into it. Well, actually, let's take some risks. Let's move some stuff. Let's change things. People talk a lot about how the Iranian church is the fastest growing church in the world. And I think we want Iranian results with UK comfort. Two things don't go together. It's time for us to take some risks for the kingdom. Epaphroditus endured a life-threatening illness to complete his commission. Verse 30, he almost died. Literally, he drew near to death. In the Greek, the words to death are identical to those with unto death about Jesus in 2 verse 8. 
Epaphroditus is just being like Jesus. But the words risking his life tell us more. There's a Greek verb used here. It's not used anywhere else in the Bible. Parabolomai. Elsewhere, this was a gambling term. You know, if you had a great hand of cards and you had chips on the table and you went all in with your hand, you had a hand of cards that was the winning hand, so you went all in, you gave everything behind this per hand, that is to parabolomai yourself. But to parabolomai yourself as Epaphroditus does for Jesus is to say that the worthiness of Jesus, you take a calculated risk on his worthiness and you go all in. Every decision, every lifestyle choice, forget your 10%, every penny in your bank, every person that you know and love, every place you work, everything, all in, because Jesus is worth it. That's supposed to be normal Christianity. I'm not sure it is always here. And it was this verb that inspired a bunch of people in the early church called the Parabolani. The Parabolani were known to do things like send evangelists into leper colonies. If you go into the leper colony, they never let you out again because you're going to die with the lepers. But the Parabolani's view was who's going to tell the lepers about Jesus? The Parabolani would look after prisoners that the prisons wouldn't want because they were so sick. Who's going to tell those prisoners about Jesus, they thought. And in 242 AD... Cyprian, the Bishop of Carthage, called on the Parabolani to save that North African city. You see, the city was being overrun with the plague. The bodies were being piled on top of each other. The heat and animals were transferring the plague. No one would bury the bodies for fear of catching it. And Cyprian called on the Parabolani to come en masse. And they went en masse into Carthage. They did two things. They buried the bodies and they proclaimed with their mouths the gospel. Two things happened in Carthage. Firstly, the city was saved. Secondly, arguably the greatest revival in the first 500 years of the early church took place. Because a bunch of people showed what it was to be balanced Christians. You know, I really believe we can pray your kingdom come and we can believe it. And Lord, give us Birmingham. You know, by the way, it's somewhere like Birmingham that a mighty move of God will start. It's never a capital city. It's often a second or third city. You decide where you're at. I'm not getting into that. (laughs) But it's this kind of place where a revival will start that will change the whole of the United Kingdom. Lord, give us Birmingham. But to see that, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be messengers. We've got to be servants and risk takers. And now is the time, friends. I was asked to write the foreword to a book by a guy called Jeremy Thomas, who's the theologian in residence at All Souls Langham Place. That means he's got half of John Stott's old job. I read the book, it was quite complicated. It was on evangelical church history, 1900 to 1950. Google thesaurus was a gift to me that day. But there was one bit in the book that I can't shake off. It said at the end of the Second World War, church attendance in the UK was off the charts for 18 months. It was huge. Then after 18 months, it went back down below pre-Second World War levels. The diagnosis in the book was this. The world was desperately looking to the church for the hope that it needed. But the church spent 18 months getting itself comfortable, safe, and back to normal. By the time the church was back to normal, the world had moved on. Friends, we've got the greatest moment since then, now. Excess deaths on the UK news in the UK for the last two years. People are living with an awareness of life and death. People are desperate for the hope you have in Jesus. Let's not spend the next 12 months getting ourselves comfortable, trying to go back to Egypt when that ship has sailed, getting ourselves back to normal when we could be looking outwards 
carrying the limps of this season, yes. Not denying the pain of this season, no. But saying, Lord, if people are looking for hope, here's the open goal we've been looking for. We're going to go. Because we have prayed and prayed and prayed for revival. And right now, the ground is more fertile than it's ever been. Let's not miss it, church. Let's not miss it. If you want examples too, because I'm always sharing my faith, but it's easier now than normal. I live in northwest London, which means I pay far too much for everything, including my haircut. It's not a hard job and it's not done well, but it's expensive. So for the last five years, I've gone to the same barber and I've had this view. If I've got to pay that, you can hear me talk about Jesus. So every time I've gone in, I've absolutely given it some. And I've got nowhere. So the middle of last year, I went in and this is what he says. Wow, I'm pleased to see you. I've never wanted to talk about God so much. I was in there for an hour and a half talking about Jesus. My haircuts are very different now. Because this guy's heart is open. Or another one, I was preaching somewhere, and this guy comes up to me. He's in his mid-twenties. Huge, muscly, athletic guy. As he walks towards me, it's like looking in a mirror. And he comes up to me. And he says, why have you and your wife stopped doing that show? We used to have a little show on TBN. Why have you stopped doing it? My mum loved it. Why have you stopped? Oh, we can't do everything. I'm really sorry. No, no, no. My mum loved it. Where's it gone? Can't do everything. I'm really sorry. Okay. He says, during the second lockdown, I got so bored that I watched four shows with my mum. And I gave my life to Jesus. Now, now I was like, how? I mean, if you'd seen those shows, they weren't very good. They certainly weren't evangelistic. But I tell you something, people are looking for hope. If you've lost confidence in sharing the gospel, if you've lost confidence to pray, your kingdom come, Lord, now is the moment. Because we can get more confidence whilst the ground is more fertile. And then if it stops being so fertile, we can still have confidence because we've gained that over the next little while. So BCC, I plead with you, I long with you, do not miss it. We have a moment now to pray your kingdom come and to see his kingdom come. But what it takes is a bunch of balanced Christians. Faithful. Be faithful to Jesus. Messengers, let's open our mouths. Servants, let's use our hands. Within that too, we're Pentecostals, so let's not forget wonders as well. You know, I've been asked lots of times, words or works, what's more important? What's more important, words or wonders? Don't know. Both important. Do those two. But let's be risk takers going out on a limb. I guess as I draw to a close, the question is, where is the parabolani of our day? The people that look at what's in front of them and say, all in. All in. Because of the worthiness of Jesus, I put everything on the table and say, Lord Jesus, I am all in. Because I want to see your kingdom come, but I want to stop talking about it. I want to start seeing it. And to do that, I know it takes one person at a time saying, all in. Let me be part of the postmodern parabolani, making you known. Let's pray, shall we? So we'll just close our eyes for a moment. And we're not going to wait around, but friends, let's keep your eyes shut, but friends, I really believe that we have a moment that we've not had before in my lifetime. We have a moment where if ever we were going to parabolomai ourselves for the goodness of God, if ever we were going to say, Lord, we're all in because we want to see your kingdom come, if ever we were going to say, Lord, this next year is about those who don't know you, not about me knowing you, if ever we were going to sort of position ourselves towards the lost and say, Lord, would your kingdom come? That moment feels like now when the whole of our nation are asking questions about the meaning of life and what's gone on and what's happening. And secularism, by the way, is found out to have nothing. Secularism offers no hope. 
in the midst of this moment. Hope is a name, his name is Jesus. And I just wonder if for some of us, actually, we want to say to the Lord this morning and to our brothers and sisters here, do you know what, Lord, for this next season, I am in. I do not want to be like some of our forefathers where they missed the moment sorting themselves out. I want to be in for your kingdom, Lord. I want to be in. I put everything on the table for you that your kingdom would come. Help me to be faithful, a messenger, a servant, and a risk taker. And if that's you this morning and you're really feeling and you're able, in a minute I'm going to ask you to stand, to say to the Lord and to other people here, do you know what? I'm going to go for this. I'm going to parabolomai myself for the goodness of God. If that's you, I just invite you to stand where you are this morning, if you're able. Even as we're standing, you think, what the Lord did with the youth group. By the way, the disciples were 15 to 22. And Jesus only had a 75% success with his youth group. So go easy on yourself if you work with young people. One denied him, one doubted him, one betrayed him. But that bunch of young people changed the world. What could we do here in Birmingham? What could happen? If we really meant business, if we parabolomied ourselves for the goodness of God, if we cheered each other on, if we wept with one another, if we celebrated other people's successes more than our own, if we looked outwards for the sake of the kingdom, who knows what could happen? But I do think this is a moment to extend our prophetic imaginations for what the Lord might do here. And so I think we're going to pray a prayer of two halves. I think I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to invite Nick up to pray. Why? Because I'm not here next week. I'm not here in six months. I'm not here in a little while. This feels like this could be a moment for us to say, let's position ourselves towards seeing the Lord's kingdom come amongst those who don't know him yet. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that at some point in our lives, people pointed us towards you. I thank you for those people, Lord, in my own life, for those youth workers and others who helped me find you, for my parents and other people. For each one of us, Lord, we are grateful. And in our hearts, we thank you now for those that pointed us towards you. But Lord, we want to say over Birmingham and beyond, we are desperate for more. We want to see your kingdom come in the workplaces of this city. We want to see your kingdom come in the schools of this city. We want to see your kingdom come We want to see this city caring far more about your kingdom than it cares about what Gerard achieves at Aston Villa. We want to see this city care far more about about what you're doing than about anything else going on. And so, Lord, we stand before you and we say, here we are, use us. Lord, I pray that every one of us would be faithful to you for the rest of our lives. I pray, Lord, you'd give us an open goal of an opportunity to speak out for you this week, that we would be messengers. I pray, Lord, you'd break our hearts for those around us that would serve them in a way that would normally be reserved for our flesh and blood. But I pray, too, that we would take some risks, that we would be the Birmingham Parabellani in the 2020s, that we would love those no one else loves. We would reach out to the least, the last, and the lost. And I pray, Lord, it would always be for your glory. It would always be for your kingdom. Lord, we remind ourselves that it's your kingdom come. It's not our kingdom come. It's not BCC's kingdom come. It's your kingdom come. Keep us in line with your heart for this place, we pray.